Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. It's wonderful to be able to once again open the Bible and uh, learn the beautiful things which, uh, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, God prepared for us to, to learn and to be able to grow together in knowing Him and following Him. Today it's a very interesting, uh, Bible study, and we are going to discuss today about um, a life of praise. Our panel for today, Will, good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Good to be part of the panel. And Brenton, thank you for joining. Nick, this is a very important topic. I trust that God will give us the uh, grace and the strength to be able to present it as he wants us to. Jerry, it's good to have you with us again. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be here again. And Ken, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be here among the team. It's also a special uh, privilege having you because uh, you prepared this Bible study and uh, you are going to lead us, uh, facilitate this discussion. I'd like to just uh, hand it over to you, Ken. Thank you very much indeed. Well, a very warm welcome to all our listeners today as we continue our journey through the crucibles of Jesus and his word. It's always easy to shout with joy to the Lord when we feel joy. It's not so easy, however, when things are bad, when we are in the worst situations imaginable, when the crucible heats up. Yet it's precisely then that we need, perhaps more than ever, to praise God. For praise is a means of helping us sustained faith. Indeed, praise can transform even our darkest circumstances, maybe not in the sense of changing the facts around us, but in the sense that it can change us and those around us in a way that helps us face challenges. Praise is faith in action. It may not always be natural to us, but when we practice praise so that it becomes a natural part of our lives, it has the power both to convert and to conquer. But before we get going today, I'm going to ask Brenton to open in prayer. Certainly, Ken. Father in heaven, we come before you with an attitude of praise today because you are our loving Heavenly Father. The good thing, uh, the secure thing that we can have is that nothing that will befall us, either now or in the future, has not already been foreseen by the God that we serve. And he will allow nothing to come to us to refine us that is not necessary in order that our characters may fully reflect his. Lord, we pray for those who will listen to our Bible study today. We pray that they too will realize that the refining process takes time. It requires patience and it requires faith. And you've promised to give us all of those things because they're all gifts. We just ask that you'll bless Ken as he leads us in our study today. And as we contribute, Lord, may we honour you and may we indeed praise you. May the presentation today bring honour and glory to you and also be of great benefit to those who are listening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. The great Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky had been sentenced to death only to have the sentence commuted in the last moment. He spent years in prison, 
instead. Talking about his prison experience, he wrote, Believe to the end, even if all men go astray and you are left the only one faithful. Bring your offering even then and praise God in your loneliness. In these lessons, we already have seen how Paul endured incredible opposition and persecution. But now he is sitting in a Roman prison, and yet he is not depressed. Instead, he is eagerly writing to encourage the believers in Philippi. Why was Paul not discouraged being in jail and still praising God? Will, would you answer this one? Certainly, Ken. Let me read uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, written by him while in that jail. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps here we find the secret of the peace and the praise that he had, uh, even under terrible circumstances. You know, words written a hundred years ago are still relevant today. And the words say, Often our minds may be clouded because of pain. Let us educate our hearts and lips to speak the praise of God for his matchless love and the light shining from the cross of Calvary. Never should we forget that we are children of the heavenly King, sons and daughters of the Lord of hosts. It is our privilege to maintain a calm repose in God. You know, Ken, and panel, and listener, thinking of what God has done for us all, how can we not but praise him? What you just uh, mentioned there, it's uh, very important because uh, today we can uh, so easily fall into two extremes. And you know, extremes are always dangerous. Either we can uh, just complain, be miserable of uh, everything what goes on, in life, or we can uh, replace that and thinking that we are, um, let's say, in a better place or happier with the entertainment. Now, praising God is nothing like entertainment. Praising God is nothing like uh, what the world today understands of living a joyful life. Praise it's something which you just said, uh, Will, there, and uh, Paul was uh, describing, is to have that hope in Almighty God who knows everything and who knows why things are going one way or the other. And to trust in Him and give ourselves to Him, that's not only a privilege, you know, it's actually one of the best things which we could do to relay and to trust in the one who knows everything. Thank you, Nick. I just actually noticed a a very important comment that Will did make, and I'm just going to touch on this for a moment, and that is, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I think sometimes this is something that many Christians miss, that there is this credible peace that 
we can get if we seek God. And when you receive this peace, really, no matter what's going on around you, mm. you just realize that it's no big deal. Now, that, that sounds probably a very funny thing to say. You could be, be standing uh, and the house is burning down around you or, or some major disasters. But if you have this inner peace, like some of the great uh, disciples had, then everything just flows. I don't know if the panel would like to make any comments on that. Well, Jesus yeah. said, um, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that, that is um, a wonderful promise that we can carry with us uh, under all circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean that all circumstances are good. Sometimes we face a terrible tragedy and, uh, and, and issues that um, you wouldn't wish upon anybody, so to speak. But God is there with you in the crucible, and that makes all the difference. Remember that Jesus said, peace, I leave you, my peace, I leave you. Not not the sort of peace that the world gives you, because that's fickle, isn't it? Mm. But the peace that God gives us is, is there for keeps. So I think we have to always have a, an awareness, a consciousness of his presence. And if you have a consciousness of, of the Lord's presence, then that alone brings peace and praise. Uh, so... Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get to that, that, uh, you know, even when things go terribly wrong, you can still praise God. You go, we talked about Job. Well, things went horribly wrong for Job. And yet, what did Job say? Yet I will praise him. So, um, yeah, there's, there's much to learn from these episodes. Ken, you mentioned, um, you mentioned a house burning down. We are not saying here today that you can be relaxed in an emergency. <laughs> That's not that's not what we mean. Not really. We're actually saying that uh, there can be an inner calm, an inner peace that God is in control. But um, we we can't be calm, calm, calm all the time, or just relaxed all the time. That's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. I think there's another aspect here. When things go wrong for us, as you've suggested, often the first question that we ask is the question why. Now. Um, Jerry touched on it when he mentioned the word Job. <laughs> of course, the middle middle letter in the word Job is O. <laughs> <laughs> and Job certainly went through a lot. But um, can I suggest this? In my own experience, the more you ask why or the deeper the question why, if you have that faith, I believe the more the deeper the question is, the more God can reveal himself to you. At the end of the book of Job, Job says, he said, I heard about you in Job 42 verse 5, but now my eyes have seen you. Job was asking a lot of why questions uh, during the book of Job, and we do too. But um, the deeper or the more um, painful the question why, depending on the circumstances that we're going through, I believe if we do have what Will said, um, this patience, the deeper it goes, the deeper the question why, the more God can reveal something of himself to us. So we should rejoice in the Lord always. Now, that's easy to do when things are going well, but not so easy when things are going badly. Paul is calling us to praise mm-hmm. God at times we may feel unnatural to do. At these times, we could say praise is an act of faith because we may be still experiencing a problem or situation that is still with us. Brenton, 
What can we be praising God for in these circumstances? Well, you know what, Ken, the usual ones that come to mind are the place we live in, the fact that we've got a roof over our head, food to eat because so many haven't, uh, clothes to wear, water, power, family and friends, our abilities that God has given us, hearing and sight, and what God has already done for us. But can I suggest there's another one? Because all of the things that we I have mentioned so far are to do with our daily necessities. Now, if you compare uh, Matthew chapter 5, right at the end, Jesus talks about how the Gentiles run after all these things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear, etc., etc.? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When I was studying this topic, um, it came to my mind that the thing that God wants us to seek is his kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Um, Luke 10 brings a very interesting point out, and I'd like to just share that with you. Jesus had just sent out a group of 72 disciples uh, to teach and to heal, and they had come back, and their focus was on the fact that even the devil submitted to them in his name, and his, his reply almost was, that's not important, but his answer in verse 20 is, however, do not rejoice, that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So our rejoicing needs to go beyond what we can see, what we can hear, what we feel, what we wear. Our rejoicing needs to go to the fact that, number one, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Surely that's cause enough for praise. And secondarily, um, Jesus touched on it again in, in uh, Matthew 11, just before that text, come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden. What he said there was rather interesting. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've revealed these things to children and not to the wise and the learned. Now, for our listeners and for ourselves, that gives us great comfort. We are the, the humble ones of this earth. We are, the, we are the ones who maybe we don't have a PhD in theology or something like that. And I'm not in any way demeaning those who do. But what I'm saying is that of the humble, teachable spirit, God is able to reveal himself to them in a special way. And that in revealing himself to them in a special way, surely they are understanding the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They are understanding the things that have been hidden from the wise and learned. Too much today, I think, Ken, um, higher criticism of the Bible has just about destroyed its power. Whereas if we believe what is written as it's written and we accept it by faith, I believe we receive the things of the kingdom of God. So those two things, I reckon, are at least more important then what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear, and where are we going to live, and uh, things like that. Brenton, that's so true. And as we have mentioned before on the panel, the Bible is a treasure trove of information and knowledge if you would only read it. Yes. There is an expression in English, to be painted into a corner. Imagine painting the floor of a room, but then realising that you have wound up in a corner and cannot get out except by walking over the fresh paint. You have to stay there until it dries. Sometimes our faith seems to paint us into a corner. We arrive at a situation and like the wet paint on the floor, our faith traps us. We look at the situation and either we have to reject God, faith and everything we have believed in, or our faith compels us to believe what appears impossible. 
God brought the Israelites to a corner. After they had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, God did not lead his people to empty, peaceful grasslands. God led them to one of the most strongly fortified cities in the whole area. Then they had to walk around Jericho in silence for six days. On the seventh day, God told them to shout. And that shouting, together with the trumpets, would bring victory. Jerry, would you condense and tell us about the story of Jericho, plus tell us what is God trying to teach the Israelites here? Yes, thanks, Ken. Just to put it in some sort of context, 40 years previously, uh, God had just uh, delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, and uh, God's intention was to, to take them straight into the Promised Land. But as we know, they sent out spies to check it out, basically, and see what, what was what it was like. And uh, the report that came back was, yes, it is a land of milk and honey, so to speak. It looks great. But, man, that, we can never do this because uh, they've got fortified cities there. They've got giants there. They've got, and, and so 10 out of the 12 spies came back with a negative report. They said, you know, there's no way we can do this. And that, that of course, led to them being in the wilderness for 40 days. But um, 40 years later, learned their lesson. And... Um, and God takes them really into another situation. Well, it basically, he says, okay, now we're going to go in. And uh, and he performs a wonderful miracle. He, he, he leads them through the Jordan River. So basically, he, he, he again, he performs a wonderful miracle, uh, makes a dry path for them to cross over. So that in itself should have encouraged them, and it did, obviously, that uh, God is with them. And, uh, and then God gives very specific instructions. He says, um, I want you to uh, prepare for battle, but you won't have to lift a finger. You'll have to march around that city. Uh, and when we say city, we're not talking about a city like Adelaide. In those days, of course, the cities were very sm- Basically, they're large villages, if you like. So uh, they had to march in a very specific way around it. And uh, the priests would also go around the city. Um, and there were seven priests who would blow the trumpet. So uh, God said, do not make a sound. You you march. You do not talk. You do not shout. You just march. And the priests will make a sound on the trumpet. So I guess that happened occasionally, periodically, that because you can't you can't constantly blow the, the horn and march at the same time, and you know you wouldn't last too long. But they did blow the trumpets, and for the, for six days they would march around the city once, and then the Lord said, "But on the seventh day you march around that city seven times." So it's interesting the number seven as well because so there's seven priests, and on and on the seventh day they marched around the city seven times, and then at a, at a, at a given signal they all blew their trumpets loudly, and then that was the sign for the whole army of Israel to shout. But of course, all the shouting in the world and all the blowing of the trumpets would never bring down the wall. So the lesson I think is that um, God was there to. Uh, fight the battle for them. Uh, but they had to listen very carefully and follow the instructions precisely. And there's a big lesson for that uh, in that for us as well. Um, yes. We may be uh, surrounded by circumstances that we think, man, this is impossible. I can never overcome this obstacle. But God is there with you. And if you follow him and do exactly what he tells you to do, you, you, you don't have to fight your battles alone. And so, of course, when they did follow these instructions, the walls came down. You know, only that song 
that uh, most people have heard about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Well, actually, Joshua didn't. He, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do, but it was the Lord who brought the the, um, the fortified walls down. Yes. And so there was a great a great lesson in that for the, mm. uh, for the children of Israel, that if they followed closely and uh, against all odds, God was there with them to to take them through their battles and to to go before them. And, and so he goes before us as well in all our battles, even though it may seem almost impossible what we face. With God, we can do all things. Thank you, Jerry. That That is so true, and it is an amazing story. It is. I'm sure many of the people, if not most of the people, when they had these instructions to march around the city in silence, they must have been scratching their heads and thinking, what's going on here? And really, look, I don't think we're any different today. When circumstances come upon us, many of us will ask why, what's going on here? But we cannot see the big picture and we cannot see what God is working in our lives. Nick, how does this story help us understand the meaning of Hebrews 11 and verse 30? Ken and panel, uh, when you said the Hebrew chapter um, 11, you know, uh, you may uh, heard those words, uh, the wall of fame. People are, uh, you know, keen to have their names somewhere there. But this is the wall of faith, if you like, <laughs> in uh, in Hebrew 11. And here it's mentioned uh, along with um, many other amazing things which happen in the life of uh, the Israelites, like uh, was mentioned crossing the Red Sea and Jordan. One of the other things he says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encycled for seven days. Now, when you think of this, you know, by faith and... uh, we mentioned here that they were instructed what to do by the Lord, but I think they also applied in their life something which they have from before. We are talking today about a life of praise. We are not talking about a sporadical uh, attitude of praise, just when you are cornered or when you are in need or when you are uh, happy or when you want something or, you know, all those things. We are talking about here a way of life in praising God. And I would like to bring to our attention here today this aspect of uh, praising because we may uh, ask ourselves what sort of praise you're talking about here in regard to this uh, miracle, you know, which was the the conquering of Jericho. And uh, Jerry was talking about here the priests and uh, having uh, uh, those um, trumpets, you know, (laughs) to blow. Or uh, um, I'd like to bring you to another passage in the Old Testament in Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, because I believe uh, we could learn something from here. And it says in, in... the book of Numbers, chapter 10, and probably I will look at verse uh, 5. Here was some instruction in regard to the trumpets. And just keep in mind that God is instructing here to make two trumpets. Uh, we talk about here seven trumpets and seven priests, but Israelites were instructed to, to have two trumpets and to use them accordingly with what God wants them to, to do. And it says um, here, I'll start verse 5, just to read a couple of verses here. When you sound 
the advance, the camp that lies on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journey. And if we keep going, read uh, read these uh, passages in uh, in verse nine. It says here, "When you go to war in your land against your enemy who oppress you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies." You see, there is already instruction here what to do, and in I think a few verses uh, up there, it says that even when you worship, you know, when um, you sound differently the trumpet. Now, why I brought this aspect up here is because to praise God is not to do just as you feel like. There is some sort of instruction there how to praise his name. Because too often we think that we can do it as we wish or as we like, as we think is best. But why God has specific instruction, even in regard to how we worship him or how we, how we praise his name? Why? Because God is an almighty God. God is uh, not just a man like us, you know, to for us to do whatever we think is right. God deserves the right way to praise his name, to worship him, to follow his instructions. And today we are falling into this uh, temptation, maybe, to praise him just in our own way, as we think is right. But here it's clear indication that God likes us to do it in the way he set up things. I just thought to mention that because... I believe the success in um, going around uh, Jericho was because of this attitude of praising his name through blowing those trumpets, which only the priests were allowed to blow the trumpets. And again, here it's uh, it's very interesting aspect, you know, in terms of uh, worship in, in that, you know, in that circumstances. Thank you, Nick. Uh, you brought out a really important point there. I just want to spend a second on, and that is sporadic praise. I think, as you said, Nick, many people don't praise the Lord generally consistently, and perhaps that's an attitude as well. But I think it is so important that this uh, praising the Lord just not now and again it pe- could be continually. And I think that is such an important thing for us to remember. Will, have you got a point in this? Let me put it in kind of modern context. As a kid, I never understood why an army band carrying no guns, only bugles and drums, led the infantry into the battlefield with all those snipers awaiting, awaiting their whole uh, invading battalion. I wondered uh, as a kid how many bent bugles and shattered drums was soon lay on the battlefield. But uh, clearly the rousing tunes and anthems served to motivate the troops entering battle. Of course, now I'm led to ask whether joyful praise, as Nick was saying, 
wouldn't help me more in the battle against the forces of evil in our lives. And I think that is what the Lord is wanting to teach us. Yes. Thank you, Will. Praising the Lord might not be natural to us, even in good circumstances. Thus, how much more difficult to do it in bad ones? Yet, that is what we are called to do. Praise is sometimes that we can that we must practice until it changes from being an activity done at a particular time to an atmosphere in which we live. Praise shouldn't so much be a specific act, but a specific way of life itself. King David wrote many of the Psalms found in the Bible. In particular, Psalm 145 is of interest. Will, can you read this Psalm to verse 8 and comment on how we too can praise God, even though we may be in difficult situations. Certainly. The psalm reads, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall seek aloud, shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then this beautiful verse. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, I want to echo what Brenton said. One strong incentive to praise God is that our names are now written in the books of heaven. Amen. Thank you, Will. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote a book called The Practice of Praise. It is based on verse 7 of this Psalm 145. We're going to look at three important points that can help us develop in praise in our lives. Jerry, would you take us through the first one? Yeah, praise is practice when we look around us, and I, I'm very conscious of that. Um, I've recently retired, and uh, the way I start my day is because I live in a uh, about five kilometres away from, from the beach. So I have the great privilege of going for my walks in the morning and I walk uh, from, uh, well, in my case, Moana Beach to Port Nalunga and back. And, you know, it's just a beautiful setting, a glorious setting because you, you've got the sea on one side and you've got the, the hills on the other side. And, um, and so often, you know, when I, when I go there, and it doesn't really matter if it's, ra- well, drizzling or whether the sun's shining. I prefer the sun, but uh, <laughs> either way, I, I often find myself just praising God. And sometimes I just start to speak to God out loud or even sing. And, um, because I'm, I'm aware of the presence of the Lord. Yes. And, um, you know, when you, when you stop and think, think about things, think about the beauty of God's creation, think about the wonderful things that he has made for us. It's almost overwhelming. But there's, there's another aspect as well. When you, you think of the people you meet. Uh, be it in your family, in your circle of friends, in uh, your neighborhood, the people you've worked with, and the opportunity you've had to to talk about God's love for them 
and have the wonderful experience of uh, seeing and hearing a person take interest in what you've been sharing and seeing a transformation in their lives as well. And that fills your heart with praise, believe me, yes. as we know, uh, to just to, to witness that, uh, the transformation of a person as they accept the, the, the love of Jesus. And Thank you. Yes, truly God's creation is amazing. Often friends sent me photographs of beautiful birds that fly, and the colours on them are just really spectacular. And often too, sometimes we see, uh, sometimes on television, sometimes we see it on the computer, photographs of deep space, and the colours on the planets are just Literally, you just can't get your head around it. Mm. Also, the fact that apparently they reckon there's billions of planets in the universe and God has made all of these. I mean, uh, my head just can't grasp that for a second. So God truly is amazing. Okay. Um, well, what's another reason for praise? I think God is accomplishing much more than just presenting to us the beauties of uh, nature and the beautiful things we see around us. Let me read you a verse from Scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet... Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You know, in figurative language, I think the psalmist is saying that as uh, night rolls on in its hours before dawn, it picks up lessons and evidences of God's goodness and uh, can't wait to report it or share it with the next day or night. And this psalm says that it doesn't use speech or language as we know it, but has something exciting to say. And so, night shares with the next day about its relaxed and inspiring observations, particularly the greatness and the dependable presence of God. You know, what about us and our own observations in our daily lives? Each has its own lesson in regard to the wisdom, the power, and the goodness of God. And those lessons are conveyed collectively from one day's experience to another. And so it happens that there, <clears throat> there is a perpetual testimony of what uh, we have observed in our lives, experienced, and building our confidence in the wisdom and the power of God as the great Creator. I think we need to just look closely at our lives and the miraculous functions of our entire bodies, our nervous systems, synapses, corpuscles, cells, and senses. We have reason to praise our Creator for upholding the entire universe out there, but also the universe within. So what I'm saying is we can look without to see the beauties of nature, But you know, there's a lot going on in the universe within and uh, the great salvation that God is offering us. I think that's a a source of praise for us all. Thank you, Will. Nick? 
I was just going to add what uh, Will was saying, and he covered uh, quite well uh, what I was even thinking um, to say. Uh, but yeah, overall, praising God is to remind ourselves who God is. He's the great creator. He's the almighty God. He's the one who's able to do all things, to save, to, you know, we need to remind ourselves that. Unfortunately, and again, I'm saying this, that in the Christendom today, many times we use praising time as a way of just uh, feeling good, you know, having a good time, you know, together at the church and all those things. But actually, we spoke a bit earlier about soul, you know, they were reminding themselves who Jesus is. They were in prison, but they have that hope and faith in that God which they served. You know, in Jesus, who's able, capable to even free them from the prison. Now, may, that may not be the, uh, the reason why they sang those songs to be freed from the prison, but I believe down deep in their heart, as a fresh converts, put it this way, they were eager to share that good news with, with many people as possible out there in the world, not to be uh, to rotten in the prison cell somewhere. That's a very good point, Nick, indeed. And I remember many, many, many years ago, one of the churches I was attending at the time, that we we're constantly praising God. Uh, you'd be chatting as you do to the uh, the people round about, and they'd say, oh, such and such a thing happened this week, but praise God, this happened because of it or something else. And the praise was always spoke about continually. Sadly, these days, I don't think you hear as much as that, uh, maybe in the churches even, but individually we can all still praise God. And uh, it's something I think we, uh, it shouldn't be something that's not just in our heads. It's meant to come out of our mouths, but more importantly, it should come out of our hearts. Yes. Comments in this panel? It's interesting that the discussions you can start by simply saying, um, ah, what a glorious day or what a beautiful day God has given us. And I sometimes deliberately do that when I, when I, meet people or you know where when you see that they're in a, in a positive frame of mind and um yeah it's interesting you know some sometimes people uh pick up on that or they you know pretend they didn't hear you say that but uh, i think we should be um deliberate and intentional in our praise uh, and um and look for opportunities to praise god and, and express that. that that's that's a good a good point uh jerry and us as Will was just saying a moment ago, there's plenty to praise God about. Yes. Well, certainly some good points there, and I'm sure we could all find reasons for praising God, even if it's only for waking up this morning. Mm. Our praise can have an amazing effect on others. Will, would you give us an example that's found in Acts 16 and verses 16 to 34 and tell us what the jailer asked and why? Ken, I don't think I will do this inspired portion of Scripture any justice by summarizing its content. So permit me to read it just as it appears in God's Word. It's a beautiful story. It's about Paul and Silas in prison. Um, Once we were going to the place of prayer, we we were met by a female slave 
who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell tremblingly before Paul and Silas, and then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Thank you, Will. What an amazing story. How great would that be, someone asking about Jesus because the way we act? What a testimony for Jesus to have people approach you because of what they saw or what they heard you say. We see another great example of faith in the story of Jehoshaphat as found in Second Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 30. Brenton, would you tell us about this story? Yes, certainly I can do that. This story is a particularly interesting one. Jehoshaphat was one of Judah's good kings. When you look through the 20 or so kings that Judah had reign on the throne, I think only five of them were actually described as being good, and he was one of them. Uh, What was happening at this time was a time of national peril, national emergency. The Mount Seerites, the Moabites, and uh, another group had invaded Judah, and it was more than just coming to um, 
carry out war, Ken. It was actually, if you read, um, and I haven't got time to read all these verses, but verse 9 suggests when Jehoshaphat is talking to God about the problem, he said, these people are coming to drive us out of the inheritance that you have given us. In other words, they're not just coming to fight with us and make us slaves. They actually want to drive us right out of the countryside completely and take it over. Now, the end result is that a young man in about verse 15 is given the spirit of prophecy and he prophesies as to what is going to happen the next day. He said that the choir is to lead the army out to battle. But he then adds this in verse 18. He says, you will not have to fight for the Lord himself will fight for you. Now, I don't know that there has ever been an example in military history. Ken, you might know more about it than me, but I doubt that an army has ever gone out to battle anywhere in the world led by a choir. And the choir wasn't just there for show. They just went there for selfies. They were there um, actually singing praises to the Lord. And the specific thing they said is, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Another word for mercy is loving kindness. In other words, they were praying in advance because the man who prophesied had told them that simply that all you need to do is stand still and see that God will take care of the problem for you. But they praised in advance. And so in praising in advance, they were prepared, I believe, mentally and also physically to see what God would do. The story is an interesting one because um, somehow or another God managed to use the natural enmities between the three groups, I think, to the advantage of Judah because one group rose up against another group and destroyed them, and then they destroyed one another. And I believe, according to what Scripture says, at the end of the day when the, the uh, people of Judah looked over the battlefield, there wasn't one left they were all killed they'd all killed one another so um, it was total victory and uh, i believe was achieved totally by giving praise to god for his mercy endures forever that suggests loving kindness suggests that there's no circumstance even a circumstance of national emergency where your very life where your very nation is in peril there is no circumstance that God hasn't already spoken for. And I had a statement, Ken, that I'd like to just share. I always remember this. In the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest, the agencies of the all-merciful one silently, patiently working out the counsels of his will. What a great statement. In other words, there are times particularly in our world at the moment with uh, the turmoil that people are going through, costs are rising, people are wondering how they're going to actually put bread on their table, how they're going to pay their bills. Um, there's the war in Ukraine, which seems to be showing no signs of stopping. Many men, women and innocent children are being slaughtered over there. One could get the impression um, almost that uh, this world is out of control, but this statement tells me that Regardless of how we see what the media presents to us, there is a God in heaven who already has the circumstance under control. And he is, in his own way, working it out silently, patiently, but it will ultimately work out for his glory. 
I think uh, a life of praise is predicated, uh, Ken, around this this comment that if we can, if we truly believe that God is in control, even when we can't see the evidence of it, we are in a much better position, not only emotionally, but we're in a much better position spiritually to trust Him in every circumstance. Nick Brenton was asking earlier if uh, in these days uh, there is that sort of um, practice to go to war with singing and all those things. may not be the case, but uh, you may recall some beautiful stories, even during the Second World War and maybe other conflicts, and the guns just stopped because people come together and sing. I I remember a story like that when uh, was maybe uh, around Christmas time when they start to sing carols and, and the guns just stopped. What I would like to say here is that... Nick, Nick, that was the First World War. Yes. But look, uh, what I wanted to say is that um, praising God will influence even the enemy to, um, you know, to reconsider their uh, things to do, you know, and soften their hearts. In the case which Will was uh, mentioning Mm -hmm. with the jailer there um, and other people who could easily just use the opportunity to escape, you know, uh, uh, but they were moved by the praising which Paul and and Silas were experiencing. I I believe that was a wonderful thing. And we should think of that. Praising God is not only that we have a connection or we acknowledge God, who he is, but it has an impact even on his enemies. Will, the story of uh, Paul and Silas singing, despite being in stocks and uh, in and in pain, is uh, is something we can quite not get our head around, unless we understand the deep calm, and the praise that uh, resides in the heart of a person that follows Jesus closely. You know, the best I can describe it is in the words of an old hymn. Um, written way back in 1868 by Robert Lowry. The chorus says, No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? In verse 3 it says, What even though my joys and comforts die, I know my Saviour liveth, even though the darkness gather around, songs in the night he giveth. And that chorus again, no storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Brenton, a comment regarding what uh, Will and the others have said um, in regard to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, just a brief commentary on that. In Acts 16, Paul had other intentions. He intended to go to other places, and the Holy Spirit forbade him to go there. And he had that vision at night that he was to come over to Macedonia and help us. So he was following precisely what the Holy Spirit had directed him to do. That's point one. Point two is that Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you were persecuted for righteousness' sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 
the practical, um, shall we say, the um, the litmus test of that is revealed in uh, what Paul and Silas were doing, because I guarantee that the Philip uh, the Philippian prison had never seen praise and singing before, and probably never did again after they left. So if you've got those two things, I believe you're on sound ground. Number one, are you doing what the Holy Spirit would have you to do? And if you are, if you are persecuted, you can rest assured you're not pioneering anything. (laughs) Jesus promised (laughs) that these things would happen and you to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. In other words, we can, it's all focused around looking up and looking out and uh, accepting that uh, God already has a way out of it. And if he hasn't got a way out of it, he has shown you how to stand up under it. So I think we read the other week in First Corinthians 10.31, no temptation has taken us that God will not give us the ability to stand up under that we may be able to bear it. That's all part of the, um, the crucible process. Thank you, Brenton. I think sometimes, as we've mentioned before, that for Christians, when we have these problems come across us, it is difficult at times to not ask the question why, and it's sometimes very difficult to believe that God is with us. But as we read God's word, we see continually that God is always in the background there. And it may be uh, incredibly difficult for us to try to evaluate. Most most cases, we won't be able to evaluate the situation, but we have to trust that God is there and has everything under control. Going back for a moment to the story of Jericho, that was another great example of people trusting God in problems way outside of one's control. Again, another amazing story of praise being offered to God in time of great trouble. It is worth remembering that the people still had to go out and face a great and powerful army that had come to destroy them, which in itself would have taken a lot of courage. But the people did, and God was with them and fought the battle for them. And I think this is something else that we should remember, that we do have to face many difficult things at times. However, God is beside us. As we come to the conclusion of today's study, we see many times in God's word, People who were overcome with great problems, but through it all, they praised God, believing he had everything in control, even though it doesn't look that way at the time. Faith in God is a powerful weapon, but even more powerful when we add our praise to God, no matter what we are facing. God loves to hear our praise and is available 24-7. As we finish today, I'm reminded of of Proverbs 17 and verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. This is something I have believed for many, many years, that if you're a happy person inside, basically when difficulties come across you, you won't be swamped by them. And I'm not saying you won't have difficulties in them, but if you have a merry heart inside, I honestly believe it does have a huge impact on your life. To all our listeners, I would say this. No matter what you're facing, praise God every day. He has done more for you than you will ever know and is not finished. Jerry, would you like to finish with prayer? Yes, thanks again. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, for the lessons that we can learn uh, from the scripture and how we can see how you were there 
in the crucible with your people and how they praised you for your loving kindness towards them. Help us to experience the same kind of praise as well. Help us have an awareness of your love for us. So often I think um, the world just races past and is jam-packed with all kinds of things and we, we need to put the brakes on sometimes and just be conscious of your presence and to think of what you have done for us and continue to do for us. When we think of Jesus coming into this world as part of his own creation and taking upon himself the sins of the whole world, paying the penalty for our sins, dying on Calvary for us so that we by faith in him can live forever in his presence. When we think of the the beautiful promise, the blessed hope of the soon coming of Jesus to take us home and when we think of the the earth made new and that God himself will be with us there, that he will wipe away every tear. Lord, what a glorious hope this is. Surely this must fill our heart with praise. But even as we wait, and until then, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to praise you for. Mm-hmm. And, and we just uh, pray that, um, that that will be all our experience, yes. that uh, as we go through our days, one day at a time, we may wake up, in the morning, and start the day with you, praising your name for the matchless gift of your son Jesus. And as we go through the day, help us sing a song of praise in our hearts. And as we've said, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Lord, it is good for the soul. It's good for your health. And uh, we just pray that um, we may have this experience and recognize just how wonderful you are. And so bless the the panel members, bless the listeners until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. It was uh, excellent to be able to talk about uh, praising God. We are uh, inviting you, my dear friend, to join us again when uh, we are looking into meekness in the crucible. We are still talking about under this uh, topic in the crucible with Christ. Until then, may God richly bless you. And have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.